Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey everyone, before we start today's show, unfortunately I wanted to share the news that we lost a beloved member of the NBA community over the weekend. Jonathan Sharks, a staff writer at the Ringer, passed away Saturday night at the age of 35. He's survived by his wife, Melissa, and his son, Jackson. Jonathan will be deeply, deeply missed. He was an absolutely beloved member of the media for so many reasons. Uh, he's written beautifully about the fight that he's undertaken the last couple of years. Uh, we ask that if you're in a position to help, you, you please do so. We'll put a link to the GoFundMe for the Sharks family in the description of this episode. You can also find a link to his GoFundMe on the Ringer's website if you go to theringer.com slash authors slash Jonathan dash Sharks. That's Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. Sharks is T-J-A-R-K-S. If you go to theringer.com slash authors, Jonathan dash Sharks, you can find a link to his GoFundMe there as well. All the proceeds will benefit John's wife and son. Uh, Jonathan will be deeply, deeply missed. Our, our hearts go out to him, his family, his colleagues, his friends. Uh, we ask that if you're in a position to help, you please do so. Thank you very much. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor, filling in for your host, Michael the Podbina. I'm Rohan Nakani, joined today by a very special guest. Uh, he's a, I guess you could say he's a both a former and current Sports Illustrated senior writer. I guess I, you know, I could have asked him for a title before that, but that felt like uh, too much work for me to do. Uh, I, he's a professor, uh, just truly one of my all-time favorite colleagues, uh, one of the, I think, best basketball writers of all time. Uh, Chris Ballard making his open floor debut. Chris, how's it going? Oh, it's exciting to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Okay, see, already too formal, already too formal. I, I could, you don't need to pretend that you're excited, you know, just just be you. That's it. That's all we're asking. <laughs> um, 
Chris, uh, I think it's still our most recent Sports Illustrated cover. Uh, the story, a story that swept the nation. I think it's fair to say, uh, Chosen Sons, his cover story on LeBron James. Uh, and his dreams to play in the NBA with his sons, Bryce and Bronny. We're going to dive deep into that today, get some behind-the-scenes stuff from Chris. Um, also want to talk to him about some of his past stories. Obviously, we're at still a little bit of a slow point in the NBA offseason here, so that'll be fun uh, to talk to Chris about some of the great stories he's written throughout the course of his career. Uh, before we get into that, we still aim to do a big mailbag episode soon, so keep your emails coming, Open floor mail at gmail.com. Uh, Chris, I don't know where we even want to begin with this. Um, th- this story was huge. I was like, you know, every basketball podcast I listened to, every basketball video I saw, they were talking about this story. I'm sure that had to be pretty exciting for you. Um, can you tell me when you first, you know, when did you first get the idea, I- I'm going to pitch LeBron and his people on doing this story on him and his sons? I'd say roughly February or so. Um, after he made the comments about playing with with Bronny in the NBA, you know, I'm, I've got uh, got teenage kids myself, and so I think it's sort of natural as you get older as a writer to write about the things that seem closest to you. So the first, second, second LeBron cover story I did was all about his um, his physique and how he was becoming so exceptional as a player. Because mm-hmm. at the time, I was still playing in like over 30 leagues, and I was mostly interested in like, you know, <laughs> how, how the hell is this guy uh, so good? And now, you know, as a, as you know, in my, my later 40s, and I got teenage girls myself, and I was like, damn, that's a lot to put out there um, on Bronny. That was my first reaction. It's like, whoa. Uh, it's great that LeBron wants to do that, but does Bronny want to do that? So I had that that initial reaction to it. And then I did the math and saw that it had been 20 years since the first chosen one cover mm-hmm. um, with, with LeBron obviously holding the ball that, that, you know, Grant Wall wrote a great story for, for SI. And I wondered if maybe they were ready because Bronny was the same age that LeBron was 17 mm-hmm. to put him out there a little bit. You know, Bronny had been very much uh, protected by his parents. Um, understandably. So, uh, but now he was 17. He was going into senior year of high school. You know, perhaps they would be interested in putting him on the cover. And so, in reaching out, I thought the response would be telling itself. You know, we proposed the idea of uh, a cover shot, mm-hmm. and it could be LeBron and Bronny. It could be Bronny mimicking the pose. Uh, but we wanted to get mm. his opinion on that because I thought that might be revealing of how. LeBron saw this. And so in the back and forth on it, you know, once we got got interest, which surprised me a little bit at first because LeBron hasn't done a ton of um, media, uh, especially this kind of stuff in a while. You know, he's got his own media company. He doesn't need to. That's when he came up with the idea of he wanted Bryce to be part of it as well, uh, which we didn't expect. I thought that was interesting. That's very interesting. Now, you brought up that you'd done a LeBron story before on his physique. I wanted to get to that later, but since you brought it up, I'm going to get to this right now. You tried to make LeBron weigh himself. Is that correct? Like, you brought us, you showed up to an interview uh, with LeBron with a scale? Yes. You know, it's funny. I, I remember I learned this trick from an old Esquire writer, Scott Robb, and mm-hmm. I saw him doing a profile on Shaq, and he had brought essentially props and it was a way <laughs> to immediately separate himself in the interview situation i think he had found some 
like uh, really old um, uh, trading card of Shaq, and he brought it to Shaq and showed it to him. I remember watching this play out, and I was like, "Wow, you know that's that's impressive." Because immediately, you know, Shaq didn't know him, but he immediately got Shaq to relate to this item instead of him. And so LeBron at the time, he had been creating all this mystique around how much he actually weighed. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was amazingly, it was like, you know, it was like Barack Obama in the beige suit or whatever it was. <laughs> it was one of these things where suddenly everyone was talking about how much does Shaq weigh? Is he 260? Is he 270? And then he wouldn't um, confirm or deny anything, which of course fed into the mystique. Uh, and I thought it'd be uh, a, potentially a good reporting tool maybe to actually get on. I didn't really expect him to get on it. But I called ahead to the hotel, the St. Regis in San Francisco, and I made sure they had a, a scale. And then I brought a backup <laughs> one in my bag and case. And I showed up, and I, you know, Gary Walter Yost sets up the portrait room in this ballroom, uh, and LeBron rolls in with his, you know, like twelve other people. Um, and I start the interview, and then I did like the reveal. I pulled it out of my bag. And I was oh like, my so god! So just get on it. Just get on it right now. Uh, and he he thought that was amusing, but he did not get on the scale. So tell me, I want you to let's let's uh, let's unpack that interaction a little bit more. So you were like, I'm going to set him up with a few questions and then bring out the scale. That was your game plan. Tell me yeah, what your it, game plan was there. Yeah, it was very sophisticated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have found uh, over the years that if you if you're spending you know um, three or four days shadowing someone you get so much insight into them and you can hopefully create a rapport. But with these interviews, like I think it might've been 20 minutes, 25 minutes, Mm -hmm. uh, it would be the same kind of thing I would get in doing Kobe stories. If you have that limited amount of time, you had to do something to get away from the pat answers right away. Something Mm -hmm. to sort of jolt the, the athlete into realizing, okay, this isn't the normal interview. That's a hope at least doesn't Mm -hmm. always work. And that's part of what I was trying to do there was sort of change, you know, LeBron's coming in and he knows me a little because we've been in the story together, but not really. And, um, and something that would sort of change the tenor of the interview. Now, did everyone else in the room look at you like you were crazy? Was it just you and LeBron in the room at that point? I mean, you mentioned they were setting up the photograph. How did everyone else react to it? I thought it was amusing, right? (laughs) You know, because it was part of it was clear. He was at that point where he was, uh, he's done such a good job of this since then, and Kobe obviously uh, was. This was his expertise. You know, start making your own myth early. Mm-hmm. You know, create that mythology, and this was another small piece of that for LeBron, right? Maybe I'm two eighty five. Who knows? You know, and he wanted to, he wanted to foment that, and so for me, the fact that he wouldn't get on the scale was better than if he had. I mean, like it would have been like a tiny news item. LeBron actually weighs mm. two seventy two, and that would have, um, you know, you would have answered the question. But the fact that he d- didn't want this, he wanted us to wonder: was he superhuman? You know, that kind of thing. I found that to be more revealing. Uh, that was a very. I remember reading that. That was a very fun, a classic Ballardism. So if we could jump back to this current story with LeBron. Uh, I'm just what I'm really curious is from your perspective, because I think the rumors been out there for a little while, right? He wants to play with the sun and that story he had with the athletic early this year was maybe the first time he went on record with it to an extent. And then obviously, you know, he really kind of 
you know, in this story, he says, I like to live in the moment. I'm a visionary. I don't plan stuff out. I'm not sure how much I believe that. Uh, what I want to know from you is, obviously, you were there. You were talking to him. Did you feel like... We've both done stories where I think you can sense that, obviously, we're, all, we're always trying to get to the truth. At the same time, I think if we're being honest, there's always... Not always, but oftentimes, an agenda someone is trying to push, Right. Um, like when I interviewed Chris Paul in Oklahoma City, for example, it was after his breakup with the Houston Rockets. And there's definitely a certain, I think, perception that he's trying to create in that situation. Uh, did you get a sense from LeBron? Like, did you feel like this was him being really reflective, really honest? Or did you get a sense that there was a little bit of like, uh, is he trying to maybe send messages to some people with this story? I think he's always intentional. There's one thing that if you spend any time around him, and especially at this point in his life, um, he's very intentional. Uh, and to a remarkable degree where if you're doing an interview with LeBron, he's like entirely focused on you for however long it is. Mm-hmm. This, was, was th- this is 30 minutes. I mean, it's, it's really impressive. But then if he's coaching his son's basketball game, which is what he was doing that weekend, you'd watch – and he's not like getting distracted, checking his phone. Okay, no, it's like one hundred percent locked in. Like he has that ability, or maybe he, maybe he always did. Maybe he, he sort of um, worked on this. Um, he will he will be in that moment, very present. Mm-hmm. And so I assumed there was a grand plan to this. I assumed this was going to play out in one to the next, the next. Um, you know, he would plant this comment and that would start things churning in the minds of the Lakers and other teams, the NBA, while at the same time, um, you know, it's a message to colleges about Bronny, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think it's a little bit of that, but, but realistically what surprised me was that Savannah and Bronny were both taken off guard by this. Like Mm. they didn't expect him to say it. And so by the end of the weekend, one of the things that, that um, I mean, I could be wrong, but my sense of it was when it comes to his boys, uh, he told me this. He's like, I just get so emotional, like I can't contain it. I think, mm-hmm. and if you're if you're a parent, you totally know this. Like you watch your kid score a goal when they're seven, and and you're having this totally irrational <laughs> interior response to it, right? Um, I remember talking to Daryl Morey once, and when he was watching his kids grow up playing soccer. He eventually had to go watch. He had to go to the parking lot and sit in the car to watch the game. <laughs> his, his, everyone around him was like, Daryl, you're not a positive influence here on the sidelines. <laughs> he just he removed himself and watched it. Cause like, it's one of these weird things you just, you know, you know, it's irrational. And so I think that's probably part of what's going on here is he was, he is just so excited. That's why, you know, he was, jumping on the court and dunking with them when he was um, when they were younger um and so in this case i think it's a it's a pretty pure motive where mm-hmm. he's just a dad who really wants to play with his son and that's why you know part of me was wondering well you know have you thought it through from Bronny's perspective right it's like clearly you're thinking it through from lebron's perspective but what about Bronny or bryce or mm-hmm. the other the other actors here uh you mentioned that you said it particularly at this point in his career lebron's intentional like i agree i mean he says in his story uh you know this is why i created an uninterrupted i you know he says i want to have a little bit more control over the narratives that are out there about me 
um, I've just if we're pulling back the curtain a bit. You know, LeBron has done a lot of SI covers. Uh, he doesn't do as many anymore. In fact, I'm a little mad that you did this one and not me. Uh, but you've, you know, we've we've been fortunate. I think he's had a good relationship with our magazine over the years, and there have been some writers. You know, Lee Jenkins is an obvious one who have had insights from him. You as well. You've interviewed him multiple times. Do you notice a shift in him uh, from now and previous times you've interviewed him? Is there, uh, I mean, obviously we're, you know, everyone is going to be different if you give them 10, 12 years, et cetera. But, you know, just in his approach or maybe what he's trying to accomplish, have you do, have you noticed a difference uh, in him just from the stories you've done? Yeah, I mean, like the gaps in my stories, I think it was 2006 mm-hmm. uh, when he was 21 was the first uh, cover story with him and then 2009 um and and then i've seen him for other stories but not like a big lebron thing mm-hmm. and then you know like a, a decade plus passes yeah. until now yeah. so uh i mean lee lee did a number of you know exceptional stories mm-hmm. uh, all through the 2010s but I, yeah I they, were get certain... they were fine they were fine yeah that guy's that guy's got no talent at all it doesn't work <laughs> yeah. hard um but uh but yeah, I would say what's, what was interesting is seeing him at 21 and then now, you know, with that span of time, uh, a moment uh, which sticks out from that first interview was he had, you know, the d- dozen plus handlers for that one. Mm-hmm. And it was in Cleveland and we're set up in sort of one of those common room basketball rooms, this pretty large room. Uh, and all the handlers are there during the interview, which is always a little bit awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, stylists and, and PR people and et cetera, et cetera. And Michael Lebrecht, who's one of our photographers, very good photographer, was doing the portrait photos for this. And so he's taking shots of LeBron in various poses, but he wants to get in super tight on LeBron. So as LeBron's talking to me, Lebrecht actually walks up and it's, he's sort of looming over him. LeBron's in a chair. Mm-hmm. And he's getting super tight on his face with his camera. Uh, this is 21-year-old LeBron. And LeBron, you know, sort of starts to pose. And then, I mean, he just totally lets one rip. Um, and, and he just starts cracking up. And all, all everyone else is cracking up. And Lebrecht is a true professional. And he just sticks there taking the photo. That's like 21-year-old LeBron. Like any 21-year-old, right? You know? Mm-hmm. Now seeing him in this setting where it's he's there with a son on each side and I mean he's in almost Papa Bear mode in the interview I did this summer um, and he's very much modeling for his sons. This is how you do an interview. This is how you answer questions. Um, he's serious. I mean he's he has matured in so many different ways. That's part of what sticks out to me. Um, I mean, he's always, if you go back and read Jack McCallum, wrote a really good story about LeBron when he first came to the league. Even back then, he was very confident, very intentional, had sort of a larger plan. But I think it's it's really a, uh, it's outside of basketball that he's become more of a, a whole person. Mm-hmm. The LeBron stuff is interesting to me because obviously he's had this roller coaster in terms of the public perception where he was, I mean, right, we put him on the cover when he was 17, he's a phenom, and his early Cleveland years, you know, I think everyone's excited, then towards the end of the Cleveland tenure, it's like, how come this guy hasn't won anything yet? 
in Miami, I mean, he's hated for this first couple years. And I think the the public love kind of peaked while he was in Cleveland, right? They win the title. Um, the Warriors become so good. There's almost not any pressure on him. And, you know, I think it's like what everything people had expected. He is a champion. He has nothing to prove. And, you know, everyone just likes him. People are just enjoying watching him, you know, his playoff heroics. Then he gets to L.A. and now he's had, I think, you know, he even mentions in the story, a really good quote in the story where he said, even if you work at Starbucks, there's going to be four or five people who love you and four or five people who hate the way you make the chai tea latte. Uh, He says, you know, there's always going to be some people who love you, some people who hate you in the story. Because I do think he's had a little bit more of like a polarized relationship with the public again since getting to L.A. Um, You know, his basketball success has has waxed and waned. Uh, He's had some weird kind of, you know, flashpoint political moments, whether it was with uh, the China situation, the vaccine, um, things that he, I think, you know, had better success with at different points in his career. Uh, What did... Did you get a sense from him? I mean, obviously, this was not a focus of the piece. It only came up a little bit. But I'm curious if you got a sense from him, like, where does he – did you get a sense where he feels like his public perception is now? Do you think he can notice that maybe it's kind of back to being mixed again? Because I think there was definitely a point in Cleveland where it felt like he actually had nothing to prove anymore. And now it kind of feels like, once again – uh, there's like a contingent of people who are maybe a little bit tired of him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd be curious your take on this because I, I recall back when Durant was in OKC, mm-hmm. and he was he was cast uh, by the wider public perception. <laughs> the foil, us, yeah. The, the media, like Durant was the good guy. Yeah, Durant was the you know oh he's doing this you know playing for this this small market team and he's. Re-up, I think he got an extension right when LeBron was doing the decision, mm-hmm. um, and they were they were pitted against each other, and which was unfair to, to both of them, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and then and then it comes full circle um, to now, right? Um, and I think what happens with these players and anyone probably at that level of celebrity is it's the the first time they really get burned unfairly. Sometimes I think LeBron. Uh, sort of admits now the decision, you know, that's a very fair criticism. But then the first time they get burned unfairly, I think they become much more cautious and wary. Mm-hmm. And then there's another evolution that occurs that we – can we swear on this podcast? <laughs> uh, we can bleep it out. Oh, no, I won't. But there's a, <laughs> a phase that comes in often like the mid-30s where they get to like the effort phase. Yeah, the um, Danny Glover, you know, just – yeah. It, yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, Garnett. I mean, Garnett was always sort of there. Yeah. But, you know, Garnett, Kobe, they get there. That's like, for me, it's the most interesting phase. And I think that's where LeBron is a little bit. Where he's like, look, if I want to go to L.A. and and I want to enjoy my life a little bit more and not focus entirely on basketball, people are there's going to be people that hate it. And that's okay. Right? He stopped caring that much about all of the perception. Um, and Durant, like, who knows uh, where Durant is – you know, psychologically right now, but clearly he has, he has sort of assumed that people are going to dislike him or mm-hmm. disagree with him. It's, it's sort of hitting that point. I'll be, I'll be curious where, LeBron, where Durant is in maybe two or three years from now. I do think that's an interesting point. I mean, it's, 
I think we see it a little bit with LeBron and kind of that. I mean, Kobe, I think, was probably the most famous for it later in his career. <laughs> There's like a clip of him on Jimmy Kimmel, like, reacting poorly to his teammates celebrating a regular season win. Like, he really um, did not care anymore. And I think you mentioned part of the myth building. I think he was able to weave that into kind of his own myth building. But, yeah, it's very interesting with me to LeBron to kind of just chart the I don't know how you describe it. I mean, Q score makes me sound like 80 years old, but just the relationship he has with fans and the public, um, you know, you mentioned like he's done so many off the court things, you know, it was towards the end of his Cleveland tenure. He opens the, the I promise school in Akron, et cetera. Um, and it feels like he's really riding high. And I wonder if kind of the, you know, what happened with China, what, what happened with some of these other things have, accelerated kind of this effort phase for LeBron in his career. Uh, I, I want to ask you kind of a big question because I, I think this was a great story and I think you had, this is probably the most candid LeBron has been in a story like this in a very long time. And there's some really good quotes in there. Great quotes from Bronny and Savannah. Do you, obviously we're all, when we're writing a story like this, we're searching for a level of honesty, right? And we have to, you know, we want to believe that our the people we're interviewing, everyone's participating in good faith, but you, LeBron is so big at this point in his career, right? Um, you, met, you mentioned in the story, like, there may be, what, a dozen people, if that, that are more famous than him globally. He's truly one of the most famous people on the planet. You know, you're here sitting in this high school gym with him. Do you feel like it's still possible to get truth out of someone like that do you feel like it's still possible to get real honesty out of someone like that or is he just too famous now uh, i don't know if it's like too famous as much as i mean i think that that scenario um in in writing the story was a challenge in part because it was such a manufactured scenario mm. you know if you spend uh, a amount of time around someone and then you can have there's these candid moments or real moments um that that start to to come out or conversations that are had but it's like you know it's like 30 minutes and his kids are with him um and so it, it, it was clear to me i thought it was important to put into the story what i thought lebron was getting out of this like why mm. would it first off why would he do this interview um you know why would he do it with sports illustrated you know all yeah. these all these questions that I, as a reader, would probably have in reading the story. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't have some, some like, you know, really deep relationship with LeBron. Uh, I think the, the lure of Sports Illustrated, the magazine itself has dissipated significantly in the last 10 years, right? There's it. And so trying to figure that out, and, you know, I did my best at, at guessing it, which I, I felt like this was a chance for him to sort of soft intro his kids to the world that they're going to they're going to be joining pretty soon especially mm -hmm. Bronny because Bronny's been able to do this curation you know through Instagram um, through his dad's media company uninterrupted which has been filming him for 3 years at Sierra Canyon so he's accustomed to this right but there's still an edit side to it so on the back end there's an edit where LeBron can ultimately control it but when he goes to college He's not going to have that edit. And so here's a, here's an example. Like, I can sit down. It's only 30 minutes. You know, I'm going to sit here and be right here with you. Let's answer these questions 
uh, essentially together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, um, so that was my take on it. You know, my, my assumption. I think LeBron also really wanted a cover shot of him with the boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's sort of a cool full circle thing for him. Mm-hmm. But that's where I, I think it's how you have to frame it in these circumstances now. Is well, why would when an, when an athlete when someone as famous as LeBron, whose you know Instagram following dwarfs any any <laughs> any like yeah. distribution that our magazine and website would get, uh, if he wants to say something, he certainly doesn't need to say it to us. So why is he here? I, mean, I think with almost any media venture now, that's a really important question as a reader to ask and as a writer. Did you do anything this time to jolt the interview? Or did you just, you like, I don't have a lot of time. I got to jump straight into it. Well, in this case, it was, it didn't need it as much because, mm-hmm. because Bryce and Bronny were there. I see. Um, because like, for them, this thing, I mean, I could tell Bronny was sort of going into, uh, you know, sort of, I'm going to make, a couple comments here, but he wasn't very, pr- I was actually a little bit surprised at how unpracticed he was at this. Mm-hmm. You know, most people who've been in the media glare that long, uh, will get a certain pattern, you know, the athlete mm-hmm. pattern, which right, they have when they're right. younger, you know, one game at a time, all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> For he sure. didn't quite have that yet. Uh, and neither did Bryce. So that itself created, um, like, uh, an almost uncertainty to it. And I could see LeBron fluctuating in an interview between like the kids would almost mimic something he would say and he would <laughs> like that and he'd expound upon it. But then other times he could see them sort of flailing a bit in the interview and he'd sort of jump in or he'd laugh or he'd try to spur them on. So was it, that, that dynamic to me was as interesting as anything else. Um, but also because the kids were there, I couldn't ask the questions I wanted to ask. I originally had asked for Bronny separate, LeBron separate, and then the group thing. Because part of what I really want to know is like, you know, Bronny, I want to know without his dad sitting there, what did you think when your dad said yeah. that? You know, how does that feel? What do these expectations feel like? And then also separately to LeBron, right? You know, did you have that conversation with Bronny? And how do you, you know, get, get that parenting conversation? So I had to, it was really, it was, it was a challenge to fold it all into one. And he was great. I mean, LeBron's one of those guys, you know, Draymond Green's like this. You know this, obviously. Um, Jimmy Butler, who you, you've written great <laughs> stories on. Uh, where you can almost print every quote. Like, every quote's going to have something in it. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn. Alliances will shift. 
and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Um, before we move on, uh, cause I want to talk to you about a couple other stories you've written, some of my favorites, but I, I guess just I, overall looking back on it now, what were some of those favorite moments? Um, uh, it, it really is. I mean, it's a remarkable story again. I, it's, it is when you really like sit back and think about it, it, it really is crazy to think that like someone as famous as LeBron still wants to be on the cover of our little magazine here. Um, what when you look back now? What what things stood out to you? Did you stick around for the photo shoot? Obviously, you watched him coach. Uh, what are just some of the fun things, uh, the cool things that you remember from that weekend? Uh, things that maybe someone only from your vantage position gets to see. Yeah, well, one of the things I didn't really have, have space to put in the story. Um, Adam Dorson was the editor on this, and he was great, but it was like we can't run ten thousand words, Ballard. Like we gotta, you know. <laughs> We actually have to put this in a magazine. Uh, for those of you, it, this is a, for those of you that wondering. This is a common problem for Chris Ballard, by the way, yes. who he, has for years been told they can't print a certain number of words in the magazine, but insists on turning his stories in that long anyway. Yeah, <laughs> uh, not 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 necessarily always beloved by editors for that. Uh, but uh, it was seen. It was seen Akron and LeBron mm-hmm. because if he if he'd been in LA, there would have been you know. The second this got out, everyone with their phones and, you know, like crowds and and autograph seekers, all that kind of stuff, um, because he's back there so much, because he still has a home there, um, it, 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 I mean, it is probably as close to normal as LeBron will be in a public setting. And it was really cool to see these ties coming back around where I would talk to the security guards there and they had been there when LeBron was in high school, and now they're retired Akron PD who are brought in for this tournament. Um, they've known the guy since he was a teenager. You know, so they're hugging him and, you know, uh, I think Lloyd Floyd. Lloyd Floyd, maybe? Um, I'm getting that wrong. Um, one, of the, one of the security guys I spoke to, but he's like, I just hugged a billionaire. Like, you know, they've <laughs> seen this kid grow up, and to see LeBron being um, – so woven into the community and then Gloria would show up and she would hug everybody in Savannah uh, and, and seeing this sort of genuine connection that he's maintained. Um, and I know that's something that he's, he's big on that's sort of his cause. You know, we, you know, if each celebrity picks a cause, his cause is like, I'm going to give back to my hometown, but you can really see it there. Um, and there's not, there's not any of that. So you could sort of get a sense of watching that play out. And I was sitting uh, next to his, the bench while he was coaching, um, watching people's reactions to him. And then also at a couple of times I'd hear kids behind me and they weren't yelling at LeBron. They were yelling at Bronny and was recognizing <laughs> that for like, you know, <laughs> the generation coming up now to some of them, like Bronny's just as big a star as his dad, uh, which was shocking to me. But of course I'm not living on TikTok, So it's, it's not, it's not my world. <laughs> um, 
it's funny. I can't remember if it was a Lee story or not, and I feel bad for not remembering now. I kind of assume it almost has to be, but someone wrote once that there's like a there's like a diner or something in LeBron or in, in Akron that LeBron and his family go to, and it's like they, no one bothers them. Like they just go. Like they wouldn't even print the name in the story because like they didn't want people from outside of Akron going there to find him. I do think it's fascinating that he has this place that he can go to, and it's like you know this relatively small city. And he can just be somewhat normal. I, I find that really interesting. Yeah, and, and the flip side of that was it was weird. If you know, if you, I sat next to the bench, right, mm-hmm. and I'd turn around. You know, LeBron would face the players in the huddle when he's coaching these games, and so he'd be standing up facing the players. You know, who were sitting on the bench. But if you turned and looked at what LeBron was seeing, that's what was like the entire like the bleachers are all staring at him. <laughs> and I put this in the story, but it, it really was unnerving to, to turn around and, and look at it. It's like, oh, wow, they're all trying to film him, right, or wave at him. Like, he's trying to be part of this huddle. And to recognize that that's how he goes through life is at all times people are staring at you. That's got to be I – mean, I don't. what does that do to you? Like, how do you, how do you try to stay normal when everywhere you go, whatever you do, you turn around and someone's staring at you? Like, yep, this guy's staring at me too. You know, that to me is the real story about LeBron and not sure that it, like it's one that you can really pitch him in the midst of his basketball career. But I think that that's the most – the guy's been so famous for so long, and he's not a perfect person, but the fact that he's relatively normal, like hasn't had some kind of – think of like the great – like Tom Cruise like was famous for so long and then he finally kind of snapped and now it's like he has the most manicured curated public persona you could possibly have like literally can only make a certain type of movie like child stars I mean there's numerous examples what fame does to people clearly is like generally not healthy and he's managed to avoid most of the pitfalls and I find that I, I honestly just don't know how. I remember I was uh, stringing for the Miami Herald. Like, I was in college, and they asked me to cover a Heat-Bulls game, and this was the last year of the Big Three. And you could tell that entire year, like, I got to cover a few of their games. Like, you could tell the team was, like, just just tired of all the attention. Like, it was the fourth year of every single locker room was incredibly crowded, too much attention, um, and I think you could tell they were just kind of mentally over it. Like it was never ending. And it was a heat bulls game. Dwayne Wade didn't play. Um, and you know, the bulls always played the heat tough. Uh, it was such a physical game. Um, you know, that year, especially Wade was in and out of the lineup. There was so much physical burden on LeBron with the heat that year, which is obviously he, he didn't sign with the team for that. Right. He wanted to avoid that. So he's got this, big physical burden on him it's a it's a physical game they lose um in the locker room after the game there's of course like just a gigantic media crush around lebron he's answering all these questions about you know why they can't beat the bulls uh you know why they lost etc and a uh i believe it was a chinese media member i asked him a question like and you know you've been in this position like other people have been in scrums there's like a certain you know unspoken etiquette that people follow um you know like people are a little bit a little bit more understanding in some ways after a loss i mean you're still asking the questions you want to ask but 
you know, you kind of know this is not the moment that I'm going to ask like a relationship building question unless I'm a beat reporter who is getting sure. a minute walking out the door. You know, it's a especially if you're, you know, kind of parachuting in. So a Chinese reporter asked LeBron, um, oh, LeBron, are you going to watch this uh, game that's happening in China tomorrow, uh, you know, featuring these teams, whatever? It was like a, a big game. And it's just one of those questions. It's like it's so out of left field, right? Um, and it, like, no, first of all, no other player would get asked that, right? No other player after a regular season game in yeah. the winter is getting asked a question like that. Um, they're not being asked to think about something like that. And, you know, LeBron gives a very, he's like, oh, you know, I, I would love to watch that game. I think, unfortunately, we're, we're traveling or playing tomorrow. Um, you know, hopefully I can catch it some other time. Gives like a very patient answer. But just like the patience required to be him, and I'm sure, you know, it's gotten that way for maybe Steph Curry to an extent, maybe Kevin Durant to an extent. Um, but I don't think anyone has it quite like him. And I, I think that the patience required for him is, I, I, I honestly don't know how he does that. Well, and the willingness, I think that's what, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that most impresses me about LeBron, he's been in a league almost, almost 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. And so... He's still willing to carry the banner for the NBA. Yeah, it's something that, oh man, it's got to be exhausting. But there's a certain number of players and coaches in the league who will always answer those questions professionally, thinking broader than than whatever the small, the myopic mm -hmm. thing. Oh yeah, this is this is good. This is going. Someone in China is going to see this answer. I should produce. You know, and Steph's yeah. another one. Like Steph yeah. will always do that. Um, and I mean, it's got to be remarkably hard to do that year after year after year and for him to still carry the banner for the league like that and and to value the traditions of the league and to value the mythology of the league i think it's one of the things that lebron perhaps is i mean there's a lot of reasons to you can criticize lebron right but mm -hmm. i think one of the things that they perhaps is not appreciated for quite so much is that like he carries a reverence for it so, like he will do that um the draft, the draft was hilarious this year, the all-star <laughs> yeah. game draft, right? Like he'll do these things and he will take them seriously and he will make them interesting. Steph the same way. Um, you sort of get the sense that Giannis is going to evolve into that a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and those, those players are so important to the league. Absolutely. Yeah. I know. I feel like this has been such a LeBron forward podcast. I think we both just, it's not even, it's just a fascination. I'm really just, just fascinated by, there are very few people that exist like this in our society, and one of them happens to be a basketball player, and I find it very fascinating. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. 
The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash the shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I wanted to, we've been talking about this for a while. I wanted to talk about a couple other stories you've written because, you know, I think I read them before we had ever even met. And there's stories that have truly stuck with me for a long time. Uh, before we, before we leave LeBron, Please. though, I, I did look it up. Lloyd Ford is his Lloyd name. Lloyd Ford, uh, was okay. The, was the retired Akron PD. Okay, good. I'm glad. I Okay, I'm glad that you brought this up because that, that is going to kind of work into what I a part of what I want to ask you next. I will say Lloyd Floyd was an incredible name, uh, but <laughs> shout out to Lo- shout out to yeah. Lloyd Ford. Yeah. Um, so I don't even know what year was it now, but you wrote a story. I think you write my favorite where are they now stories. I mean, it helps that a lot of them are NBA focused, but you wrote, I, it had to be a where are they now piece on Robert Swift, right? No, actually I've only done one where are they now. It was, and on, that was the uh, Amici John one. John Amici one. Yeah. So yeah. these were just oh, these were okay. Spiritual, where are they now? As I guess yes. is what I'll call them. Because yeah. Sam Hinkie was another one um, that you wrote after his Sixers tenure that I guess was not official. But um, Robert Swift, for those who don't remember, I mean this is an NBA podcast. I'm sure you guys remember him, but he was just one of kind of like the all time draft busts. Unfortunately, um, really tall guy drafted by the Sonics. Um, I think he came straight out of high school, uh, just always looked awkward and uncomfortable was this pale redheaded guy. Um, just never looked, uh, never looked in place on an NBA court. Um, and his story, I mean, it's, it's, it's very sad. I mean, he was having a lot of financial troubles. Um, I really encourage people to read the story. Um, I, I guess the best way to do it, just Google Chris Ballard, Robert Swift, but, you know, it's, it's a story about what happens to someone who, you know, flames out of the draft like that. And, uh, you know, there's a one point in the story. I remember you mentioned, like, you bought him food, right? Yeah. Um, it, which, it, it, that stuck with me for a long time because I think, of, again, to peel back the curtain a little bit here, I, you mentioned a guy like Lloyd Ford, right? When I went to Philadelphia and I wrote, a Dion Waiter story. I was so excited. It was like the first big profile I'd ever really written. And SI was sending me to travel and it was great. You, uh, you, you killed it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, uh, talk about guys who you could print anything they say. Dion Waiters is probably at the top of that list for me. Um, and, you know, obviously it's great. The access was phenomenal. You know, I got to spend so much time with Dion, but it's such an interesting thing through the course of these stories that we write. Like I remember I met Dion Waiters, AAU coach, and I was interviewing him. We were supposed to meet Dion at a cheesesteak place. He showed up a little later than everyone else. 
So I'm just eating lunch with his old AAU coach. Um, you know, he is telling me about all these different places in Philadelphia. That night, I had to like catch a train back to New York. And he was like, I'll drive you to the train station. I'm like, really, it's no problem. Like, work will will cover my taxi. He's like, no, no, no. Like, why would we do that? Like, I'll give you a ride. And he's, you know, he, as we were walking around Philadelphia that day, his name's Aaron Abbott. You know, he's pointing out, he's like, this is a park where Monet Davis uh, played baseball before she, you know, got to the Little League World Series. You, you make such interesting connections through the course of these stories sometimes. And... You mentioned it. It can be. I'm sure that that moment, on some level, at first blush, was like a little bit conflicting for you because we're always taught, right? We're supposed to keep ourselves out of this as much as possible. Sometimes at the expense of our humanity, almost, which I I think people are moving away from, and I think that's good. I think you do a good job. You mentioned in your LeBron story, like you or you told me, you know, part of the reason you wanted to write this to your father, you that's something you can connect with people about. Uh, I'm just curious because I feel like it's something I struggle with and that's just maybe who I am as a person, but how difficult do you find it to keep yourself removed from a story when, when you're reporting it? I, it obviously depends on the story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the depth that you're going into. Uh, I, I think it's like whenever you can get to a, a human level in a story that that's going to be more valuable for the reader. And I think it's, it's more fair to the person you're writing about. One mm-hmm. of the stories that always stuck with me and I might get this a little bit wrong, but I'm trying to remember it is when Harrison Barnes is with the warriors. And I'm pretty sure he suggested this him and him and Marcus Thompson went around Oakland because Harrison wanted to see Marcus's old neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And Marcus wrote it. I mean, Marcus is great. He wrote a great story about it, but it was that same kind of thing. Like, wait a second, you're always asking me questions. People were always like, they want to know about my life. I'm curious about your life. Mm-hmm. And that becomes then suddenly, if I'm reading something that Marcus has written about Harrison, um, I know there's like a, a human connection there because you know, regardless of how you cover this, unless you're doing just the analysis or data side of it, um, you know, it's, it can be easy, especially early in my journalism career. And I think when you're a younger reporter, uh, it can be easy to forget that these are, like human beings because mm-hmm. they they're these avatars on screen and you know we talk about them and some of them are so good at this sort of protective armor that you need um because if your job is one where you get yelled at all the time and, and criticized mm-hmm. yeah. for everything you need to create that protective armor um yeah so i found that you know whenever whenever it's possible to connect on a on a human level uh the story is going to be better right um and so, you know, Robert Swift was one of those where uh, I was initially interested in his story, like, like a lot of people, because I was just curious, you know, how did, how did this happen? How does someone go from being a lottery pick and, you know, bringing in millions of dollars to ending up in jail because uh, he was found in a meth dealer's house and there was an FBI raid, right? So that, that arc is bonkers. Um but if you just like right after that happened when he was arrested and there were all the headlines, it was very much focused on the uh, look at this crazy thing that happened and this guy. And then you get like that list of Bleacher Report stories of, you know, biggest, biggest flame outs in NBA history. And like Robert Swift, like right pop, like right at the top. 
Um, and that itself must be, you know, you think about that, like you're 29 and you've, you're like, your, your public life perception is done. You're, you're sort of stop. You're frozen there as this guy. And I always find those stories to be, um, the most interesting, well, what happens after that? And that's, you know, where are they now? It's the same kind of concept. I often find that athletes, if they're in the middle of their career, are the least interesting. It's often towards the end or if something, you know, you get a full a full arc of life that happens during a playing career. And then another arc that happens afterwards. Um, so that was interest in Swift was to figure out, you know, not only why did this happen, but where, you, you know, when that happens – or when you do it to yourself, which is sort of the, the turn of the story, you know, what do you do next? The Swift one is, I mean, especially is, uh, you mentioned the, there's an FBI raid. I mean, that, that's kind of the lead to the story is him, I think, waking up in the middle of this raid. And, um, oh, man, that's, it's truly one of my favorite Sports Illustrated stories of all time. I mean that genuinely, Chris. I, I remember it vividly to this day. Um can you tell me, I know people have maybe not read it in years, uh, I guess just to give them kind of an overview, um, Swift was drafted in 2004. He was out of the league within three or four years. I mean, he's with the Sonics. He never really made a mark in the league. Um, you know, he eventually becomes drug addict, uh, arrested. How do you begin to, like, approach a story like that? Do you go in? Did you go in with kind of a... Do you have a preconceived notion? Are you trying to get rid of your preconceived notions? Like, how do you begin to approach something like that? That I, I think that when any of us do something like that, there's a responsibility you have, right? Like, you 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 don't want to coddle someone, but also maybe you do a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, maybe maybe empathy and sympathy is good. How did you approach something like that? Yeah, those kind of stories. There's a lot of those kind of stories you look into that you don't, you don't write, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, because it's you know, on a human level first, uh, if, if Robert's in a place in that case, if you, if you find him and he's in a place where things are just really dark, um, on one hand for him as a human being, this is not, this is not good to have like a national exposure. Right. Mm -hmm. And and you worry, especially with someone who's an addict, what they, you know, the repercussions of that, and then secondarily, as a story, it's not a good story either, because mm -hmm. um, it's almost like it would. It's almost like a gratuitous kind of thing. You right. want there to be, you want to feel like there's some hope. You, it needs to yeah. be real. Yeah. And so with with Robert, I originally reached out um, to Bob Hill, uh, who is a longtime Spurs coach, a longtime NBA coach, who had had um, overlap with Robert during his playing career. And then he turned me on to his son, Casey Hill, who had um, been with Robert. He played in Japan after briefly after his NBA career. He had a bit of a comeback there. And if you look back, I mean, you know, Robert did a lot that put himself in trouble. Mm -hmm. But he also came into a team, the Sonics. They had Ray Allen in the prime of his career. He, he had no interest in playing, understandably, with a project. Uh, Nate McMillan had no interest in tutoring a prospect mm -hmm. uh he was a guy who loved his bets so he's sort of adrift the next youngest player in the team luke Ridenauer, is four years older than him so swift comes in he's got a bunch of money he's got an unstable family situation 
his parents are basically like on an allowance from him. Um, and so like, there's a lot that could have gone wrong and that did go wrong. And also he has like back to back ACL, well, ACL mm-hmm. and then a meniscus where he's out a year and a year. So then his, then his body's toast. And so even though he'd looked good at one point, so all the things are rolling in the wrong direction. Um, then he has shots that, you know, he plays well in Japan. It was like always something. He was playing really well in Japan, like 22 and 20 in a game. And then there was the earthquake. Uh, and the basketball season's canceled. And, you know, there'd be these, these sort of intercessions within his, his life. And then he hits a dark place and sort of, you know, spirals darker. Um, but, you know, in contact, I, I wanted to see is there a chance that, that he's – because I knew he had, he had left prison um, and I knew he hadn't gone back. His stay in prison was pretty brief. Um, and so it was finding, okay, he's, he's trying to come back. Okay, that's, that was enough for me to look into it. Was, okay, he's trying to come back, which means he's playing basketball again. And for him, because his narrative was frozen there at his lowest moment, almost anything after that um, for him, I assumed, might be a better story. And so then it became about you know, gaining trust. And, and I drove up to Roseville and had lunch off the record first and mm-hmm. sort of ex- tried to be very, very uh, explicit about and transparent about the level of detail that I put in my stories. You know, it's like six, seven, as <laughs> you said, 10,000 words yeah. sometimes <laughs> that come down to six or seven. But I felt like for, you know, you want someone to know, okay, we got to like, if this is going to work, we got to get into the dark stuff to get back to the light stuff, you know, not light, but in terms mm-hmm. of the to you, to you trying to get back there. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, I really encourage everyone to read that story. Um, it's, uh, the reporting is incredible. It's, uh, I, I just Googled it right now. Cause I, now that I think about it, I'm like, Oh man, what happened? You know, he played basketball in Spain from, for, the, for three years, 2018 to 2021. That makes me feel nice. Yeah. Yeah. Actually I did a little, yeah. uh, web follow up on him and he was loving it. He's like, um, I'm like two blocks from the beach and I like my team and you know, his, you know, he was essentially getting, uh, you know, enough, like a free place to live and food and a little bit of money and he kept playing. Um, and so, you know, I haven't spoken to him in a couple of years, uh, but at least the last time I had, it seemed like he was still sort of on the, on the right track. That's awesome. Um, okay. I know we're, we're kind of pushing up against our time limit here, but I just want to ask about, one more story that you wrote, that was Sam Hankey. Um, you got him post his resignation from the Sixers. I think you, you started, I, I don't know if it was the lead of the story, but I remember you mentioned, like, you know, he shaved his head. He's, you know, it's the gritty reboot of Sam Hankey. Um, I just want to know, like, is he a crazy person? What's his vibe? Like, is he, does he give off the vibe of, like, a shady tech billionaire? Like, what's his, what's his deal? Uh, complete opposite. <laughs> Interesting. Sam, okay. Yeah, no, Sam was, he is one of the most relatable people in person. It was always this big contrast between what people expected of Sam Hinkie and then if you met Sam Hinkie. Right? Mm. He's from Oklahoma. He's got like a little bit of twang to his voice. He's funny. Um, he's relatable. He's pithy. He's, like, uh, it's, that was always, and that's why I <laughs> kept trying to convince him to do this story and to talk for a story. And I tried to explain, well, it looks like people think you're very different than you are. And anyone mm. who was, who was working in the NBA at the time um, in the media knew it because he was a phenomenal source. He just wouldn't be on the record. You know, back when he was with the Rockets, as I met him when he was 
with the Rockets, and I did a story on Yao Ming, and Sam was this great background source, um, and did a story on Daryl Morey. Uh, Chris Stone, of course, titled it Money Ballsy. Um, <laughs> classic classic yeah. Chris Stone headline. Uh, but once again, like Hinky, he was so good because he saw a big picture, but he could explain things in detail. Um, and then, you know, when he got to the Sixers, he just... You know, he felt like if he was part of the, if he was if he was front and center, that wasn't what was good for the team, and that any information that he gave out could ruin their competitive advantage. So, ergo, you just you got competitive like competitive advantage. Look, yeah, you, like you, you, you looked like like a <laughs> they were robot trying to lose games. <laughs> oh, and as far as trades, draft yeah, picks, yeah, everything. Yeah, sure, I mean, sure. so but I think that's what he ended up regretting a little bit mm. was not showing a little more humanity, not just publicly, but even with agents, right? You know, mm-hmm. agents did not like um, Sam when he was there. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. but Sam's, Sam's, I mean, he's, he's a great guy. Uh, if you read the story, that probably comes through. Um, and and I think that was, if he had to do it over again, he probably would show a little bit more of his personality. Mm. Do you think he looks back on the process? I mean, I'm really asking you to go into his mind here, so this is a little unfair, but... When you think back to when you write that story, like, did you get the sense that he looked back on that time, like, with a sense of humor, with the sense of regret, like, because that was it. I mean, I mean, I think part of it is there's, you know, I don't want to put on my conspiracy hat here, but I think it's obvious the NBA was not a big fan of what he was doing. Um, it's a little strange. I'm thinking part of it is him. I'm sure part of it is the league that he's, he didn't really, you know, he he's not really f- re-entered the NBA. How do you what what sense did you get on how he kind of viewed his Sixers tenure? I mean, Sam is such a long longest view in the room kind of guy, mm-hmm. uh, hyper rational, um, you know. But I think you know if you look at the effect that his tenure had, it effectively you got to be got a bunch of copycats. They got to change the lottery system, uh, and then you know some would see. Embiid and the Sixers rising to relative prominence as vindication, right? It's, it's all, it all depends on, on perception. But I happened to be, when I did that story, it was, I think it was the night before Embiid had debuted and gone, you know, 20 and 10 or whatever it was. And, uh, and you know, it was sort of the height of the cult of Hinky online. And mm-hmm. so uh, he was trending on Twitter that morning, even though he wasn't with the Sixers anymore. Um, so I think, you know, the more time passes, the more people probably look back and see what he did and, and recognize that it was, you know, in the same way, like Don Nelson was revolutionary as a coach, but it didn't always mean that Don Nelson won. If that makes sense. You know, I think Sam Mm -hmm. Hinkie affected change in the NBA and people learned a lot from what he did, but he didn't get the rewards of it. So it's that weird you know, like someone, it's, you know, someone else takes Don Nelson's point forward concept and wins a title, you know, and, but Don sort of was a progenitor of it. Listen, I think Don Nelson had, did win, okay? That man is just, what is he, in Hawaii smoking a ton of weed now? <laughs> yes, he is. Listen, good for that's, Don Nelson. Uh, that's another story I did. Um, yes, when, uh, when yes. I and I believe I texted you after, did you smoke with Don Nelson or not? And then you wouldn't tell me the answer. And I'm not going to put you on the spot right now, but just know that I'm still upset about that. <laughs> um, all I'm saying is, listen, Don Nelson, do you want to run that back? you want to do another SI story? I'll come out to Hawaii, um, you know, 
we'll sample the local product we'll see what's up um don uh, you gotta be ready don is very good at shuffleboard and he's got his own shuffleboard table he'll want to play you for money for money oh boy I'm, I'm not kidding yeah yeah that's awesome that's very yeah. cool Don's um, got some good stories i'm sure he does wow talk about a fascinating life and career um chris i think that'll do it for this episode though uh thank you so much i think i told you we were only going to talk for 45 minutes and here we are nearly an hour later so thank you so much for your time is there anything you're working on that you want to let us know about what's going on in your life this is an opportunity for you you know we you talk about lebron's uh instagram following i don't know that it compares to the power of the open floor globe so if there's anything that you're working (laughs) on that you'd like to let the people know about this is a chance for you to do so uh, well, thank you. Uh, I'm doing another in that same sort of vein of someone who, um, little uh, potential. They were in one spot, and now ten years later, where are they? Uh, one of those. Um, uh, we'll, we'll see if it pans out, but uh, definitely uh, looking forward to seeing what happens with the power struggle in the NBA. I think that's what I'm most interested mm-hmm. in is the way that Durant. Um, I'm not answering your question at all, but, but I do think, it's, I do think it's, it's, I want to see how it plays out this season. You know, Durant now coming back to the nets. I'm mm-hmm. wondering if this will shift some of the player empowerment era or not. Are you still teaching? Not this semester. No. Okay. Cause I was wondering why I had, I had not gotten the invite, uh, to speak to your <laughs> students recently. I, you know, I wasn't sure if maybe you'd lost my phone number and my email address somehow. Um, you know, it's just, it's been a little while. I think that the first time I did it, um, it was a huge success. So I was just a little surprised that, uh, that call hadn't come in yet. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can tell your listeners that, uh, you certainly were the most memorable guest. There the we go. For the students. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got there a few minutes before you and I was like, is he a tough grader? And everyone was like, yes. And I was like, well, that sucks. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Listen, man, You're they're they're paying you. You know what I mean? What what's going on here? Just give them all A's. <laughs> that is that is essentially the thing you learn about journalism school pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> yeah, grades grades have never been more meaningless than in uh, journalism school. Uh, all right, well that will do it for this episode of Open Floor. Once again, Chris, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. Thank you for all our listeners. Uh, if you would like to email us, please keep the emails coming, openfloormail at gmail.com. Until the next episode, please continue to enjoy the NBA offseason. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.